for my first, my first pastoral charge, I was there for four years. My, my second pastoral ministry, I was there for four years. My third pastoral ministry, I was there for four years. So by that time, I had four years of experience. All right? I didn't know what to do after that, right? So my next ministry, I was there for nine years. Like, right? Boom. Actually, yeah, nine years. Hallelujah. Next week will be 18 years. I have to, I have to stay because I don't have 36 in me. Pretty sure of that. But uh, the, let me tell you the reward of, of uh, 27 years in a city and 18 years with one group of people. You literally get to see that a lot more things happen incrementally than happen suddenly. Because I'm watching lives change. You know, and I'm watching things happen that don't happen instantly. Listen, I was transformed by Jesus so instantly that I thought, this is it, man, this is it. We're just going to go out there and everybody I'm going to talk to about this, what happened to me is going to happen to them. And I'll be honest with you, most of the time it doesn't. But after 18 years, I'm seeing lives change. You know what I'm, after 18 years, I'm seeing people go through stuff and get through stuff and come through stuff. I'm seeing lots of people make big, you know, like the rabbit runs a big circle, run big circles and end up home. I'm seeing lots of it. I'm telling you this because we're here to run a long race. And I'm telling you this because the way things are is not the way they'll always be. Um, my mama says, this too shall pass. I now say, this too shall come to pass. We're going we're gonna to go through it, get through it, and overcome it. And a lot of people that you, you don't know what's happening to them now, they're going to be okay. Because they're being fashioned and formed, right? Come on, you can be happy about that. You can have hope in yourself about that. And so, you know, one of the things that happens, especially in a church like us, in most, in most churches nowadays, you're told not to have feelings. It comes out like this. They say, they say, don't trust your feelings. But the way it's communicated is don't have any. And so we all try to be rationalists. When in reality, we simply are not. We are a combination of our reason, our emotion. We're a combination of everything that happens to us. Well, the thing I have to say in a church like ours where we say, have every feeling, <laughs> is, is that the feelings that are dominating you in places where you go, this is awful, they're not going to stay. You're not going to live there forever. And, and as you grow, you're going to get the maturity to say, what's going on with me? How do I get to the root of it? How do I get through it? How do I overcome it? 
And, and I'm crazy enough for all of us, as I've told you over and over again, that I should be the most hopeful mental ill person you've ever seen. I should give you all hope. Um, because I, I know what it's like to go through all these things. I'm saying this now because uh, we're about to go into a study in Matthew about family ties. A little, just a little sub-study in Matthew's gospel in chapters 18 and 19 that starts off with this, who's the greatest? The question comes from the disciples, who's the greatest? Now, you, you shouldn't be surprised at this. They've just had the majestic experiences with Jesus. They've gone up on the mountain. They've seen Moses and Elijah. They've heard the voice from heaven. And, and they saw Moses and Elijah disappear. And they are still here. And Jesus is still, still here. And in the human mind, ascendancy is always working on us, right? And so they ask now the question. We'll look at it. Who's the greatest? And it's not, listen, it's not a question that they ask one time and get over. And this whole business of positional aspirations, it just lives in us and lives in us and lives in us. And Jesus immediately starts to talk to them about the family. He immediately takes it out of the macro and into the micro. Let's go, let's, let's just look at your house. And so we're going to talk family ties for three weeks. In these three ways, we're going to look at the problem of broken relationships with children. Today, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Next week, we're going to talk about the, the problem of broken relationship with brothers, or if you will, brethren. And, and in and the next week, we're going to look at the problem of broken marriages. So now listen to me. It's going to hurt. It's, there's pain in the making because there's been pain in this stuff. There's nowhere in your life where there's more pain than the people you're kin to. Because I'm sorry, most other folks just can't hurt you that bad. It just, it just doesn't happen. But it's relational. Now, what Jesus is going to do also is he's going to take the, the micro and he's going to enlarge it. For instance, we're going to look at children today, but when we talk about children, he's going to broaden the definition of children. As I talk to you about brothers and sisters, he's going to broaden the definition to our family. And then we're going to talk about marriages. And the marriage is always a reflection of this. So we're going to talk about our relationship to him. So here we're going for three weeks. You ready? Let's talk about family ties a bit. Greatest. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words... Before you're going to know what it's like, you got to know how to get in the door. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the, in the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's talk about kingdom of heaven again. Where is the kingdom of heaven? Yes. Here and. 
when, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, and this is all my life I've been among people who always thought that's about going to heaven. And our whole obsession is what happens when we die. We're going to heaven when we die. We're going to heaven when we die. Uh, what will happen to you when you die? Do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? That's our whole obsession. And in some sense, it's a misreading of the Bible. I'll say it one more time. Your pastor believes in life after death. Actually, what I believe in is life after death and life after life after death. But we'll talk about that another day. But ultimately, it's life. Ultimately, we live forever. But when the Bible talks about heaven... It didn't talk about heaven as an unknown and unknowable place. It talked to heaven. Listen, we are not Greeks. We are Hebrews. For the Greeks, heaven was what was the world of Plato. This is the world of shadows, and that's the world of reality. But for Hebrew people, heaven and earth came together. They came together at a certain place, at the temple. Whenever you went to the temple, if, if you could approach God, you're approaching the actual presence of God, where heaven and earth actually, physically, manifestly met. And you got to be in that. Uh, what Jesus is going to do is going to say, I came to bring what's in the temple into the whole world. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's the glory of God that fills the heaven, that manifested on the mountain, on Mount Hermon with, with Elijah and Moses. It's that glory filling the earth. The disciples wanted to ascend to that glory. Who's the greatest? And Jesus says, you're going to descend to the glory. You're going you're to go to the lowest place. And then the glory is going to be manifested in and through you. Are we, you're tracking with me, aren't you? I can tell. You're with me today. All right. So who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, who's the greatest, Jesus, in your kingdom? And he's put a child in their midst. And he said, unless you turn and become, you have to be changed. Like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why I love, I love, love, love that we have a, a house full of children. This house is full of children. Isn't it fun? They're everywhere. And we have a baby boom going on everywhere you look. Boom. <laughs> we had babies, 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 and it's wonderful. And, and Jesus says, you got to get like that. Now, I've told you before, let's look at it again. It's real easy for a child to be a child. A child is a child. They just born that. What you and I do is we grow out of that. And what we do is we adopt the worst pieces of it and we shed the best pieces of it. What do you mean? Well, we become childish instead of childlike. <laughs> we become selfish and petty and, and loud and, and whiny. <laughs> we become needy and demanding. And that's childish. We're supposed to lay that aside. But childlike, we're never supposed to lay aside. Dependent. Trusting. Open. Receiving. 
able to hear. So we have to we have to get converted. We have to get converted to child likeness. So Jesus says to his disciples, um, well, you guys can't do it because you're focused on the wrong, wrong thing. They're focused on their greatness. Gosh, I spend so much time about this. I was in a system that ascendancy was everything, everything, everything. And every time you meet, it would be about who you know and how many people you got and how important your what positions you're filling. And it's always about the greatness. And then I got involved in this crazy revival that was filled with people like Heidi Baker, who's like, she even talks baby talk. Have you listened to her? If you read about, if you look at the back at old Lonnie Frisbee, he was the most childlike, meek fellow that you ever saw. You, all these characters that were just unassuming and, and, and gentle. And it was, it really kind of rankled me because I'm a tough guy. And, and, and I'm always having to learn. All I have to do is stir up your political spirit and find out that childlikeness is not real easy for you to have. <laughs> Should we talk about the Supreme Court? Probably not. We would not like each other by the time we're done. We would, we would get into a rivalry spirit. <sighs> Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. So I look at a political problem and I say, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Where are the people that have a clean heart and a right spirit that can wisely shepherd us through this stuff? Okay, now childlikeness, since we're not like that, and since Jesus was clearly saying they're not like that. And by the way, remember I said it's going to hurt? Basically, you do know that what's happening here is Jesus is reproving them. And he's, he's about to enter. He's been reproving those other guys. Jesus is now working on his own guys. Talking to them about being childlike. He's going to have to talk to them about forgiveness. He's going to have to talk to them about a lot of stuff that, that they, they carry, that we carry. Stuff that we have as viruses inside ourselves. And so, I like the fact that he says you have to become a child. Uh, how many of you know that um, becoming is probably a process? It's unlikely to happen instantly. I was... Um, I was reminded, and I've, I've told to you before, but I've never read it to you. Do some of y'all know that little children's song, I Haven't Turned Out Yet? Does anybody know that? Oh, this is my day. <laughs> this is a child singing. The other day I heard my mom complaining to my dad. It seems she was quite certain that I was turning out all bad. And so that night when she came to tuck me into the bed, I asked her to sit down a while, and this is what I said. I said, Mom, you do not need to worry. I said, Mom, don't give up on me yet. Those things you always tell me, I never will forget. Someday I'll be all grown up, and, you, and you'll be proud. I'll be. You'll see I'm still a kid, Mom. I'm sorry, and you'll be proud, I bet. You see, I'm still a kid, Mom. I haven't turned out yet. Now, this next verse is politically incorrect, but put your seatbelt on. 
My dad was telling grandpa he was worried as could be. It seemed his heart was broken. He was so ashamed of me. And so that night, instead of mom, t'was dad who tucked me in. I asked him to sit down a while. I started with a grin. I said, dad, you do not need to worry. Dad, you do not need to fret. That spanking you just gave me, I never will forget. (laughs) That's what my dad promised me. Someday, someday I'll be grown up, and you'll be proud, I bet. You see, I'm still a kid, Dad. I haven't grown up yet. A little later that same night, I heard both Mom and Dad. We peeked through the keyhole. They were kneeling by their bed. With arms around each other, they were talking kind of sad. It seems they were praying, because this is what they said. They said, Lord, we ask you to forgive us. They said, Lord, we're so quick to forget. We were kids not long ago, and we're not grown up yet. Please help us to be kind and not do things we'll regret. Be patient with us, please, Lord. We haven't turned out yet. Keep working with us, please, Lord. We haven't turned out yet. Come on. So becoming like children is probably not going to happen instantly, just like becoming an adult doesn't happen instantly. And you're going to find out as Jesus is working with these disciples that they don't get it. But listen, the entrance to the kingdom is childlikeness. The entrance to the kingdom is admitting you don't have the answers, admitting you don't, you're, you're not complete, admitting you're not sufficient, admitting you're not okay. And so he gives us the act that causes the fact, humbling ourselves. Listen, here's how this happens best. It happens best when you make a big old mess and you have to go clean it up. I have an old friend. I got in an argument with him this week. And I wanted to win the argument. I always want to win the argument. You know, I'm the guy that'll think of the thing I should have said and call you up and say it. And the Lord said, it doesn't matter if you're right, Alan. It matters that he's your friend. So I had to humble myself and tell him I was wrong. Well, he instantly told me he loved me. And listen... Whatever the facts were about the argument, I was still wrong. You understand? Now, Jesus says, humble yourself. Repeat after me. Humble yourself. Wait, that means you, not me. Okay. Right? It means me, not you. Right? Um, Humbling yourself. 
In other words, the means, the means of becoming childlike is through humility. The way, the way up is down. I tell people when they're coming into our church, the way you come into this church is low and slow. I learned that from Mama Heidi, you come in low and slow. There's always people who come into the church that are smarter than me and know more than me and have better ideas than I have. I know this because they come tell me. <laughs> And listen, if it's true, and you tell me, it'll be really hard for me to hear. So just be that. And the truth will manifest, right? But humbling yourself, listen, it's a self-choice. It's a self-choice. I have to do this. So let me tell you, this is really important. Don't go and pray for God to humble you. He will answer. You won't like it at all. Do not. Do not. I never pray for patience, and I never pray for God to humble me. These things I do not want God to help me with. (laughs) He's really good at it. And he actually says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. And that means we have to learn to say, I don't know. And we have to learn to say, I was wrong. And we have to learn to say, it's your turn. And we have to learn to say, I don't have to win. And it's a, it's a really hard thing, but it's the act that causes the fact of childlikeness. Amen. One of the things that happens anyway that I'm starting to notice as you get older is ju- just so you know it, we all, we all kind of know this, but I'm knowing it more and more every day. You're going to become a child whether you want to or not. That's what, that's what old age does to you. You go from being omnicompetent to, somebody help me. And so more and more with my staff, I'm saying, this is your problem, not mine. You take care of this, not me. I want you to you decide. No, I'm not going to decide. You understand? I don't have to be in control because I'm not in control. So the kingdom of heaven, it's, uh, it's entering into the spirit of childlikeness. And this is really important for us to know. This is really important for us to know. Okay, I'm going to talk about children for a minute before I go further. I won't, not for long. Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. Okay, let me tell you what you do with a child, just so you know. Let me tell you what you do with a child. You just receive that child. Unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given. And Jesus speaking of himself, he says, and to whoever received him. Receiving is a really important act of life. And receiving a child is one of those, I think it's one of the most dramatic conversions in life. (laughs) In fact, let me just say, the birth of my first child was the only time I ever spoke in tongues and it wasn't spiritual. The child is born, and and then you start talking that way for the next two years, and you're so proud of yourself for talking that way, because a child comes, and you receive a child, and the child is dependent, and the child is needy, and you care for the child, and you nurture the child, and oh, by the way, there's an important thing going on here, you're the voice in the child's ears. 
Moms especially, even before birth. I, 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 know, I know you pregnant women are psalming your children and talking to your children and instructing your children before they even get here. They're so present to you. Us men, we have to wait till we can see them. And what happens to us is always happens is, is that child is born and we go, that's me. <laughs> and, and it's a dramatic conversion that comes to your life. Like teenage, being a teenager is, is, when, is when you're completely confident that you're being raised in an insane asylum. <laughs> These people, these people that put the food on the table, they are crazy. And then you grow up and you have your own child and the instant you have your own child, you go, mom, I need some help. I need some of your wisdom. You look, you're so smart. You know everything. And your parents look sane to you for the first time in many years. And then you get to find out really quickly that you now have become the insane person. <laughs> that it's love that makes you that crazy. It's love, it's compassion that turns your heart. And that this is what you do. And Jesus is wanting that spirit to be upon his people. You want to be great? Then whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. And I have the feeling that Jesus was looking beyond the, the inner circle and seeing a larger crowd of people. Because our role now, our role, you want to be a family, it means you receive people. And, and he brings them. And listen, this is where we've got to get it right. This is where we've got to get it right. Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. We have to receive one another. And um, by the way, the, the reason that your child hears your voice is because you received them. And then your voice is the voice of life. And the secret of parenting for those early years of life is your voice in your child's heart not in their ears. And your voice becomes the voice of God. Your voice becomes the voice of hope and trust and faith and love. Now, um, it, just a, a quick aside, because I, I do notice today that something is happening that's frightening to me, and that is that homes are becoming child-centered instead of adult-centered. Your, child, your home is child-centered for the first like 18 months to maybe two years. But then there's another conversion takes place. And that means at that point, the child starts obeying your voice more than you obey their voice. Because when the child is hope, helpless and needy, their voice, you hear their voice and you, and you heed it. You take care of their sleep needs and their eating needs and their cleanliness needs and their uh, nurturing needs. But there comes a time when you start saying, yeah, you can stop that now. 
But you earn that in this. Want voice in the world? Receive them like children. And they'll hear your voice. I only have one aspiration the rest of my life. I want my voice to matter. I don't want it to be strident and ugly and, and uh, repressive and condescending. I want it to be a voice that people go, I know that voice. I can trust that voice. Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, that word is stumble there, to trip up. Uh, the problem with the word sin is so heavy laden with uh, rebellion against God. This means whoever causes them to, to fall. Be better to have a millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. So Jesus says, you want to be greatest? Receive them and understand that you're now, you're responsible for stewarding them through life. And that causing them to fall, fall is the worst thing. This is a really big deal because look, what most of us, uh, we, live in a, we live in a world that uh, the family's fractured, the family's broken, uh, parents are alienated from children and children from parents and, and lots of kids don't know who their parents are and all kinds of stuff. And so, listen, every, every person, you want to aspire to, to be a person that now you, your voice is a voice of fatherhood, a voice of love, a voice of parenting for the whole culture, not just for your own little tribe. You want to speak, you want to speak the sweet truth of Jesus that when people hear it, you think these disciples didn't go, whoa, did we miss it? But I assure you, they have to get this lesson a few more times. They haven't got it yet. And, and Jesus is the one that tells us most of all that whether we like it or not, we are accountable. Um, listen, um, the, one, the most observable thing in the human world is that, is that um, the law of the harvest works. Whatever you sow, you reap. Or as, as it's said in another faith, karma is a witch. I don't think that's how they say it. <laughs> but, the, but the deal is this. We've noticed that we live in a moral universe. That what, ha what we do, when we do really bad stuff, it's going to happen. That our God has created a world in which there's, there are judgments taking place in time. I think these are what I call saving judgments. I think sometimes God is, is uh, giving you a swift kick so he can sort you out. Because once again, we're on the long race. We haven't turned out yet. All right, let's go further. Uh, causes, causes, uh, causing a child to sin. Let's just, uh, real quick. I just give you a little thing you can remember real quick. Uh, causing a child to sin means alarming them. You fill people with fear, they're going to do bad things. If you fill people with fear, they're going to do bad things. Your, your voice is not a voice of intimidation. Your voice is not a voice of saying, uh, uh, you're not the boogeyman in the world. It's fine to warn your kids, but don't fill them with fear. You get around somebody who's fearful, people who are motivated by fear are going to make bad choices. Charming them, that's the word for seducing. That means, that means tempting them. People in this world, kids don't do bad. Nobody does bad without being enticed. We get enticed. Harming them, this is abuse. 
This is abuse. I just had a friend that I know who was becoming a man of tremendous influence. Who had to be set down from his position. Because the universal testimony was that he was abusing the people he was working with. We saw a whole ministry fall in this nation because the leader of that ministry was abusing the people he was working with. I think that this present call about abusing is is going to ultimately have a good effect on our culture. I think saying it's not okay to abuse women is is going to ultimately have a good effect on all of us. I want that to happen. I think saying it's not okay to abuse children is ultimately going to have a good effect on all of us. And I want, I want that. So I think those things are okay. We're going to be okay. Sometimes God's working in ways we can't see it, but he's, he's at work. And then farming them, that's the worst one of all. Making merchandise of people and selling them. Do you know that in the world there's more slavery right now than there was during the Civil War? exponentially more, not just because of greater populations, but because it takes more forms and more, it looks more different ways. So alarming, charming, harming, farming. These are ways that that we cause a child to sin. We stumble them. We basically mess up their lives. All right, you ready? Let's go a little further. Y'all okay? I told you this is going to hurt some. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled than uh, with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the, uh, the hell of fire. All right. Can we talk? Just for a minute. Every once in a while, somebody will say, Pastor, do you believe the Bible's literally true? And I'll quote them this verse. <laughs> I'll go, I don't know, do you? <laughs> I think the Bible is literally true when it tends to be literally true, and it's figuratively true when it tends to be figuratively true. And I think we better know the difference. I don't see too many self-mutilated people here this morning. <laughs> I think what Jesus is doing here, listen, he did it here. He's giving them the the warning, and now he's just upping the ante. He's saying, listen, guys, I'm not messing around. You want to be great? You want to be great? I'm not messing around. It's a serious project. And so... He challenges them. I think Jesus has in his background a passage like this in the Proverbs. There's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. How many of you know that your hands are not actually your problem? Your feet are not actually your problem. How many of you know that, it's the, that your eyes are not actually your problem? And so, and so Jesus is being extreme here and saying, don't, don't give in to your inclinations. Being great means self-management. Um, I love it when Danny Silk said, 
Let me tell you what a good day is. A good day is, is when you can manage yourself. <laughs> a good day is when you can tell yourself what to do and pull it off. <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Um, I have a, a lot more problems with me than I have with anybody. And listen, where, where we always get off as religious folks, where we always get off is when we turn these passages into trying to manage everybody else. I'm here to exhort you. I'm not here to manage you. I'm not going home with you. I don't want to know what you're doing. <laughs> do, you, do you understand? <laughs> every once in a while, every once in a while, people will say that the, they devise a church structure that's high on control, trying to keep people from sinning. I'm like, I don't want that much, I don't want to know that much about you. I'm really serious about this. What I want you to be is free. Under him, free. I want him to set you free. I want you to live in freedom. I want you to be able to manage yourself. I want you to walk in the love of God. I want you to find greatness. Like a child. Humble, like a child. I want to find it. All right, I'm almost done. <sighs> See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. Okay, the word despise. You know what it means? I promise you, you care about what it means. Don't look down on somebody. Don't look down on somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah, I got free. <laughs> Do not despise one of these little ones. Don't. It's one of the things, this is one of the things people feel quick, right? They feel it quick. In fact, we're so sensitive about this that we often feel looked down on when nobody's doing it. Our own sense of ourself is so broken that sometimes somebody just doesn't notice us or know our name, we feel looked down on. But he says, don't look down on anybody. And Jesus, once again, he's broadening the definition of little ones. He's, he's including a bigger... He's saying, not only do I want you to understand that greatness, the way, the way to greatness is childlikeness. Uh, I'm coming up here for the camera's sake, just so y'all know, because my mama's out there and I want her to see her son. <laughs> um, so, so he's telling us, you want to be great, don't look down on anybody. Don't look down on anybody. And it's not, if it was really easy thing to do, he wouldn't have to tell us. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who's in heaven. What? Here's the passage on guardian angels. Here it is right here. So just before I speak blasphemy, let me, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I started to ask how many of you believe on, in guardian angels, but then I would have denominations rise. <laughs> I want, 
And, and I'm in a charismatic church, and some of y'all see angels, right? And some, yeah, some of you see angels, and, and if I start talking about guardian angels, you're going to tell me what you see. Listen, I don't see them. Unfortunately, I see demons. But I don't see them as much anymore because it, I just told them to go away. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. I was like Martin Luther. I wake up and there the devil would be. <laughs> but so... I don't know. I'm going to humble myself right now. Does this teach the guardian angels? I don't know. But if it does, I'm great with that. All that matters is, here's what I can tell you. They're angels. They're at work. I love it when somebody says to me, hey, pastor, I saw your angel standing there next to you when you were preaching. And he's go, they always go, he's big. <laughs> And I, and I always think, well, does that mean I'm unmanageable? <laughs> I think that's probably what that means. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I don't know. But what I do know is that when Jesus says, don't look down on people, he's saying, then he tells them as a motivation. For I tell you, the angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. Which he's saying... <clears throat> There's something going on in the heavens that keeps account of the way you treat people. And if you want my help, you got to understand it matters how you treat people. Come on, you can, I, I, I believe it's in there. All right. Then he says, what do you think? And we're going to get the passage about the sheep. And just real quick introduction, not long, just real quick introduction. This parable, what you're about to see, appears in another context in another way. I want to tell you something about Jesus so you'll understand it. Sometimes you'll read in one of the Gospels something written a certain way, and you'll read in another Gospel something written in a certain way, and because you've become a person who, who believes in a certain doctrine of inspiration, you'll go, there's a contradiction. It's not. Let me tell you something. You'll hear your pastor tell a story up here in this context. You come with me to another country, and I'm going to tell the same story. It's going to sound a little different. It's the same story. I'm using it for different effect. Jesus is exactly the same way. He, listen, he was a teacher. He didn't say something once and never say it again. The reason they have these sayings of him, he said them a lot. Can I tell you how people are? They say things a lot. When I leave here, you're going to all say, you can't get that stuff just anywhere. Because I've said it a lot. You're going to say, can we talk? Because I've said it a lot. When teachers say things, they, they repeat themselves. And sometimes when they tell stories, the context is different. So that's just a little aside. And here we go. We're, we're going we're to land it now. What do you think? What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went away, went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than all the ninety and nine that never went astray. So it's not the will of my Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Let me tell you how about our God. He's coming for you. <laughs> He's coming for you. He's coming for you. <laughs> There's no dark place he won't light up coming after me. He's coming for you. We serve a God who's coming for you. You want to be like him? Go for the sheep. When you notice somebody's loss, go find them. I'm going to see Papa Jack this week. It's going to be so good. I love Papa Jack. Woo! 
Hallelujah. Papa Jack, I think, is, I think he's 85 this year, I think. And, uh, he, and he says, he's, you know, he tells us all, don't, get, don't stress out. I'm here to 100. Don't stress out. He tells us all, taking five with me this time. Um, and then go hang out with Papa Jack. And sometime during the week, nobody will prompt him, this will happen. This will happen. He'll say, I have a lot of sons. Sometimes somebody will ask me, who's my favorite son? And he says, I'll always say, the one who's sick until he's well. The one who's gone until he's home. The one who's lost until he's found. Amen? Somebody, somebody met me afterwards. They have four kids. Somebody met me afterwards last night and they said, he said, you know what dad says? We have, or you know what he's, he says, he has four kids. You know what he tells them all? You're my favorite. <laughs> this is, again, 18 years of pastorate. And it's so good because I'm telling you, when somebody has heard his voice, they may go wander on a long, circuitous route. But don't you be surprised when they come home. And that's why it's been my joy as a pastor every once in a while. Oh, just every once in a while. Somebody will come to church and I know what they've been through and I know where they've been and I know how dark it's been and how hard it's been. And I'll, I'll jump and grab them. Because they're home. Because they're home. You know how you're supposed to be with children? You gotta, you gotta get them home. An old age lets us get them home. It was a day in 1991 when I was so broken. I was so broken. I was preaching on John chapter 10. And I stood up and opened the Bible. And I read it. And I looked at my people and I said, God has promised to get us home safe. And I was so broken that day that I broke down in front of the congregation and I ended up in the hospital with a breakdown. 27 years later, He's going to get us home safe. Would you stand?